So this morning, as we uh, start our Advent series, uh, we are going to be uh, taking a look at five New Testament scriptures uh, that explicitly convey to us why Jesus came. Uh, Some of those scriptures are going to be scriptures that Jesus actually says, like the text we're going to look at here in just a moment, where Jesus explicitly tells us why he has come. Uh, Others will be from other New Testament authors. Um, This year, there are actually five Sundays in the Advent season, uh, Christmas being the last and final Sunday, uh, Christmas Day. And if you're going to be in town for Christmas, we want to encourage you. We are having a Christmas service here. Uh, Please make plans to come and worship with us uh, as we eagerly await and anticipate the birth of Christ. This morning, we're going to take a look at the Gospel of John to see that Jesus has actually come to bear witness to the truth. In his coming, Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises of God all throughout the Old Testament. In essence, Jesus being the truth is the greatest expression of God's faithfulness to fulfill his word and bless his people. So if you have a copy of God's word... Please turn with me to John chapter 18, down in verse 28. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. Please pick up one of those Bibles and turn to page 850 where you'll find our text today. I'm going to read for us John chapter 18, starting in verse 28 through verse 40. John writes, Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early in the morning, and they themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters and again called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord or did others say this to you about me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. And then Pilate said to him, So are you a king? 
Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we come before your holy word right now to submit ourselves under it. To hear what you have to say to us. To hear the words that you inspired John to write by the power of your spirit in order that we might see our Savior and see the truth. That we might look face to face with the truth and determine, Father God, by your help and your aid, whether we are going to believe it and trust it and follow hard after it, or whether we are going to join so many characters in this story to suppress it and deny it. Oh God, we desperately need your help. Come to our aid in the hearing of your word. God, fill me up and pour me out, God. May your word feed your sheep today. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, if you walk away this morning with anything else, I want you to walk away with this. I would say it's the main point of the text, the main point of the sermon. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises of God, the truth who is to be trusted and not suppressed. Jesus is the truth who is to be trusted and not suppressed. As we take a closer look at the text today, I believe that we're going to see three lives, three lies, and the truth. Three lies particularly arise from John's use of a literary device known as irony. And I don't know if you noticed while I was reading that, but there are some very ironic things happening in this text. And we're going to look at them and, ex- and see how they expose three lies. And then we're going to look squarely in the face of the truth. The first lie that we're going to see is the lie of false purity. False purity. I'll explain that in just a minute. Then we're going to see the lie that Jesus was only after political power. And the third lie that we're going to see is that Jesus can be traded for temporary gains. And after seeing these, again, we're going to look at the truth. So lie number one, purity is merely found in keeping the law. That's the first lie we see in the text. Look with me back at verse 28. Because what we see in verse 28 is that the religious leaders attempt to keep themselves purified for the Passover week all while they seek 
to have Jesus of Nazareth crucified. It's a bit ironic, isn't it? Look, with, look again with verse 28. It says in the second sentence there, it says, They themselves did not enter Pilate's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. See, after Jesus had been presented to the high priest, because that's where we're coming from, Caiaphas's house, the high priest's house, after being arrested in the, temple, in the garden at the Mount of Olives, he's presented to Pilate at his headquarters. But the, but the Jewish leaders are like, whoa, 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 we can't go into Jewish head, to, to Pilate's headquarters. But we got to stay out here. Because they believed that, that if they entered the house of a Gentile, that they would be considered ceremonial, un, ceremonially unclean. That means that ceremonially they could not participate in the things that the Jews had come together in Jerusalem at this time of the year to participate in. And this is all established in Numbers chapter 9, verses 7 through 11, which states that if, that if they were unclean, they could not participate in the Passover celebration. Now, many of you might be thinking about the Passover, and you're like, wait a second, Jesus was arrested after the Passover. What's going on in the text here? Like, is there something bigger going on? Well, it's very likely that the Passover is not just a single meal that many of us are familiar with, if we're familiar with the biblical story. But it was actually uh, a, a, a... a time of the year that was cold, that started with the Passover meal that we're familiar with, but it also was coupled with the Feast of the Unleavened, Unleavened Bread, which actually lasted all week. And so what these Jewish leaders didn't want to do is they didn't want to do anything that would hinder their participation in the traditions and the keeping of the law. So they stay back out of Pilate's headquarters in order not to defile themselves. But interestingly, they are presenting Jesus over to Pilate in order that he would be put to death. You see, they had accused Jesus of blasphemy. They tell uh, Pilate there that uh, if this man were not doing evil, which they considered blasphemy evil, then he wouldn't be in front of Pilate right now. And Pilate really doesn't understand what's going on in one sense. Because what does he say? I mean, he attempts to get Jesus off the hook by saying, well, well, guys, like this, this seems to be a pretty religious matter that he's done something to offend you as the Jewish leaders. So why don't you take him and judge him by your own law? Unfortunately, the Jewish leaders had already predetermined to have Jesus crucified because their law allowed him to be killed for what they accused him of by stoning. But because they were under Roman rule, they couldn't take uh, that kind of punishment into their own hands. So they hand him over to Pilate, hoping that Pilate would take the matter into his hands and end up crucifying Jesus. And they do all this while they make every attempt to adhere to their own customs and law so that they, be, be, they could be counted as pure. And, and I'm not sure about you, but the last time I checked, friends, if you're trying to kill someone 
and remain pure at the same time, you're really, all not, you're really not all that pure to begin with, are you? You see, these, la- these leaders are blind to their false purity. And Jesus had some really strong words uh, before in the Gospel of Matthew to these Pharisees and scribes and Jewish leaders about their blindness to this hypocritical righteousness or this false purity. Matthew 23 records these words of Jesus, one of the seven woes to the Pharisees. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful. Oh, we're going to remain outside of Pilate's house so we don't get defiled. You look real clean on the outside. But within, you are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. Sorry. So you are outwardly appearing righteous to others, but within, you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Oh, friends, this is a stunning picture of a tomb full of dead men's bones seeking the death and crucifixion of an innocent man. The Jewish leaders were aiming to have Jesus killed because he was exposing their hypocrisy of their customs and traditions and power. And and you and I, friends, may not be too far off from the, the Pharisees here. We're not able to kill Jesus and trumping up on on bogus charges and presenting before Pilate. But how often, friends, do we deny Jesus' power and influence in our lives when His ways press up against our fleshly desires? You see, we want to flee temptation and sin, but we struggle to put ourselves to the task of memorizing Scripture for recall in the midst of those battles. We are supposed to be a people who kill sin, but how often we entertain it when we are either gossiping or angry uncontrollably, one click away from another Amazon cart purchase, and wasteful of the time that we have been gifted by God. Friends, how often... How often are you tempted to look good in the eyes of others around you while holding back a confession of sin? Unfortunately, the Pharisees didn't want to confess their problems. They wanted to remain hypocrites and whitewashed tombs. But friends, I'm here to tell you that there's hope in Jesus Christ, that you can confess your sins before him and stop faking it to make it. Listen to what John says in John, I mean listen to what James says in James chapter 5. And if he that is any brother among us or sister among us has committed sins he will be forgiven. Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Brothers and sisters, some of you may need to spend some time this week meeting with one of the pastors of the church or someone who's discipling you in order to confess your sins, pray together, and receive the forgiveness that God is offering to you. Don't harden your hearts toward what God is doing. 
You may need to confess that you've spoken of someone in a way that discredits them in the eyes of others. And in seeking forgiveness, you can be free from those thoughts of that brother or sister or free from saying things that hurt and harm others. You may need to confess that your retail therapy is actually failing you so that you can use your money wisely for, the kingdom, pur- for kingdom purposes. And you may need to open up to someone about your harshness, your frustrations, and your anger so that you can remain calm, be understanding, and gentle, and trust in God's plan for justice, not your own. And you, need to, you may need to confess this week, friends, your laziness so that you can devote yourselves to the Scriptures, know them in a greater way, and grow in your understanding of who God is. Friends, do not believe the lie that you have to hide behind false portrayals of purity while being sinful and defiled in your flesh and in your hearts and in your minds. So the first lie that John exposes to us in the hearts of these Pharisees and in our own hearts as we let God's word speak to us is the lie that purity is found in keeping the rules, the customs, and the regulations of man. No, friends. Purity is found in confessing your sin before God and being cleansed and given forgiveness by him. Well, it's the second lie. Well, the second lie that gets exposed in verses 33 to 38 is the lie that Jesus was after political power. Because this was the, really the only case that the, the Jews could uh, convince Rome to take on, uh, or the only charge that, that they could uh, convince Rome to take under their care and crucify Jesus, is if Jesus was trying to usurp the political power of Rome. But what we see here is that Jesus reveals that he has come as a king of a far greater kingdom than Rome could ever imagine. Look look with me back at verse 33. What what does Pilate ask him there at the end of verse 33? Are you the king of the Jews? You see, Pilate was very eager to squash any potential uprising while, this, while the city of Jerusalem experienced a large influx of people due to the Passover events in the week before him. At any time there was a large crowd within the city, the situation could easily turn into a full-blown riot if a rioter was on the loose. This would not be some uh, flash dance mob looking for their 15 minutes of fr- fame. No, this would be a a zealous group of people looking to overthrow Rome in Jerusalem and in Israel. Some Jewish zealot looking to make trouble for the Romans could really make a statement with all these extra people in the city. Sort of a group think and group mob mentality would be able to take over Pilate and his rule. But Pilate couldn't afford such a tragedy. He couldn't afford an uprising on his resume. I don't know about you, but uprising on a, as a bullet point on your resume probably doesn't look very good. If Pilate did not act, 
Or if he acted in a way that was contrary to what the Jewish leaders wanted, then the crowd could be drummed up to a riotous bunch looking to rid themselves of their Roman oppressors. But Jesus, Jesus isn't like the false messiahs who've come before him or the ones that will come after him. Jesus is a ruler of a far greater kingdom than Pilate could ever imagine. What does he say in verse 36? My kingdom is not of this world. Because if it were, my servants would have been fighting. Those who serve Jesus would have never allowed Jesus to be handed over to the Jews, convicted as an innocent man on trumped-up charges, because if he were a part of this world, he would have made sure it would have never happened. But Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. I don't play by the rules of the world. I don't do the things that worldly leaders or zealots or false messiahs try to do. No, what does Jesus tell us about his kingdom? Jesus reveals to us in Mark chapter 4 that his kingdom is quite a counterintuitive kingdom. And Pilate doesn't even understand what's going on. But Jesus describes his kingdom as one like a mustard seed. And although mustard seeds were known to be quite small and not that significant, maybe not that very influential, but it was amazing that over time when this little bitty seed was planted in the ground, it gave rise to a large bush that grew to be larger and larger and larger and actually became larger than any other plant in the garden. You see, Jesus has come to initiate his father's kingdom, which will far outgrow all other kingdoms, and he will rule and reign over all other kingdoms. The branches of his kingdom will grow to invite many in from all over the world. You see, he's not concerned with just winning Israel. He's concerned with winning over the nations. He will rule and reign the entire world as the king of kings. He he hasn't come to merely have influence there, removing Roman occupation. He is a king of a much more grand initiative that doesn't require brute force, but love, generosity, and the proclamation of truth instead of the suppression of it. You see, Pilate seems to be on a truth-finding mission here, but how does he end the conversation? What is truth? But Pilate doesn't even know what's going on. He's confused. And he really doesn't like having to be handed over Jesus as this, uh, to t- take on this trial. You see, Jesus wasn't aiming to flex that power in order to, de- to dethrone Pilate and Caesar, but to lay himself down to start the expansion of the kingdom that God would have him start. You see... Jesus wasn't on the upward mobility climb to the top of the ladder. Jesus was on a downward path to laying himself down in order that he might be crucified and start the kingdom of God the way he had intended it to be started. 
Friends, when we think of Jesus this way, humbling himself under the mighty hand and plan of God to submit himself to start a kingdom that looked backwards and upside down from every other kingdom in the world, we must be careful not to expect that Jesus is going to operate for us like the world operates. Jesus isn't under our beck and call to do whatever we ask him to do. He is here to initiate and start and sustain the kingdom of God alone. He's not seeking to grant us political favor in order that one party might have more influence than the other. You see, Jesus is not beholden to political power grabs and brute force. He's beholden to humility, love, generosity, the ways of his Father, the ways of the kingdom of God. And friends, we've been called not to merely be good citizens of the government, which we are to be, that we live under, but we are to be ambassadors of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We are to be ambassadors who proclaim the forgiveness of sin, the freedom of the captives, the resurrection from the dead, and the reconciliation of man with God. And those are not donkey or elephant talking points. Those are kingdom initiatives of the one true King, no matter who our earthly ruler might be or how much They like us as Christians. Friends, what will you put yourself behind? What will you get in line with? What beat, what drumbeat will you march to? Will it be the political winds of the day? Or will it be the forgiveness of sin, the freedom of the captives, the resurrection of the dead, and the reconciliation of God and man? So the first lie was the lie of false purity or purity found merely in keeping the law. The second lie is that Jesus was seeking political power, which he was not. But the third lie, and I think this is the lie that we're all most beholden to today, is the lie that Jesus can be traded for temporary goods or pleasures. Friends, trading Jesus for anything is not worth getting what we want. Trading Jesus for anything is not worth getting just what you want. Pilate here in verse the end of verse 38 to the end of the chapter, verse 40, he goes back outside with the aim to release Jesus. He's not convinced that Jesus is any threat to him or to Rome's rule in Israel. Unfortunately, Pilate as a leader is not prepared for what ensues outside the headquarters. He aims to uphold the Jewish tradition of releasing a prisoner And although the practice is not well documented in history, it would seem to be something that would be something that that actually keeps the peace. Like, okay, if I keep your traditions, guys, then, then, okay, well, make sure that sort of everything remains, so the status quo remains. 
Pilate would not, didn't want to do anything that would tip the scales in any directions. Especially, he thought, well, if I release Jesus, then I think everything, everybody's going to be happy. Like, he's, he's not guilty. I can't find any charge against him. So, here's the man. But the Jewish leaders won't have it. They actually call for Barabbas to be released instead of Jesus. Now, in our text, we're given one little word that describes Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. I think some of you have a footnote. Uh, There's also, uh, it could be Barabbas was an insurrectionist. That's probably more accurate. Barabbas was trouble, friends. Okay? Barabbas was trouble. He's not the guy you want to be hanging around with in Jerusalem if you're worried about the Roman soldiers watching you. Okay? He's likely a revolutionary or a rioter who's already been arrested for previously causing trouble in Jerusalem with the Roman authorities. It's, it's like re, uh, releasing here a repeat lawless individual in place of arresting an innocent, law-abiding citizen. The irony here is that the Jewish leaders force Pilate to keep a peacemaker arrested while releasing a troublemaker. Out of fear, out of pure fear, Pilate makes a move representative of the world's rejection of Jesus. He keeps him arrested. He begins his full suppression of the truth in order that he might keep the peace in Jerusalem. Friends, I'm afraid that you and I, and probably I more than you, or more like Pilate than we might want to admit. Friends, how often are you making that very exchange out of fear in your own life? How frequently do you give up and give in to the fears of the world which lead us to rejecting Jesus, to suppressing him, to holding him down, rather than listening to what he has to say and obeying and following his word. Because what does Jesus say? Everyone who is of the truth or everyone also who is of his kingdom listens to his voice. Interesting, Jesus is silent here. He's not there saying, well, I'm innocent. You should let me go. He's not trying to plead his case. He's quiet. Friends, if we are to be followers of Christ who deny our flesh and crucify the old sinful man that is so prevalent to raise his ugly head in our lives, we must be ready to listen to Jesus, to follow him, to know that he is the true king of all the world, We must not be truth suppressors. Friends, don't believe the lies of the devil who makes sin look pleasing and beneficial for the moment 
but hides the hook and the snare that will easily entangle you. Some of you need to some of you need to hear that again, guys. Don't believe the lies of the devil that make sin look pleasing while the hook and the snare and the trap are hidden. You will be easily entangled if you give in to your sin. And it will be very hard to get out of that trap. But it is not hopeless. Jesus is never worth giving up in order to get temporary pleasure and gains. If all you want is pleasure and the advances here on earth, you will give in to the temptations that lead to sin, that lead to death. Are you wondering why the aches and pains of life, the hurts and the trials are there? Some of them may be there because your sin has led to death, friends. There will be no heavenly reward for such trade-offs, friends. We must choose Christ in His ways by the empowerment of His Holy Spirit. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans chapter 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Very much like Pilate, fearful of men, setting his mind on just keeping the peace so that he doesn't lose his job. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Oh, friends, do not trade death for life and peace. Stop choosing sin over God. Stop following the ways of your flesh instead of the ways of Christ. So those are the lies that Jesus revealed, that John reveals to us here in John chapter 18. But now let us look to the truth and stare it directly in the face. Because the truth here is Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is the true King of glory and the sacrificial substitute who can be trusted with your, all of your life. The first evidence of this is in the first part of John's Gospel. In John's Gospel... In chapter 2 to chapter 11, which I would encourage you to read throughout the week, uh, is, a, is a section of the gospel called the Book of Signs, where Jesus completes seven signs to prove to the onlooking world that he indeed is the Messiah. He's the long-awaited one that the Jews have been looking for. And he proves it. From turning water into wine... In John chapter 2 to John chapter 11, raising Lazarus from the dead, Jesus demonstrates that he is the one who can be trusted. But what does John record for us in John chapter 12? In John 12, 36 and 37, John writes these words, When Jesus had said all these things, He departed and hid himself from them, that is, them, the Jewish people and the Jewish leaders. 
And though he had done many signs before them, they still did not believe him. And they took their unbelief and they worked really, really, really hard to get him killed. All of what John has put together for his audience leaves them with enough evidence that Jesus is indeed their long-awaited Messiah. The question remains, though, will you believe in what Jesus has come to do? John gives us his whole purpose of writing this gospel. In John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Friends, there is life in following Jesus. He is the Messiah. And it culminates here in John chapter 18 as the Messiah is put on trial for trumped up charges to be condemned as an insurrectionist. What will you believe? Is he the Messiah that he claims to be? Is is he the Messiah that John wants us to believe in? That's the first truth. Second truth, the second evidence of truth here is that Jesus is the king of heaven and earth, the king of kings. Remember, recall back in John chapter 18, verse 33, flip back over there. What is the question that Pilate asked, to, asked Jesus? Are you the king of the Jews? Pilate likely bases this question on the fact that Jesus, Jewish leaders had told Pilate that Jesus was claiming to be a king in order to get the Roman government to crucify him. Rome could not have other nations under their rule having their own kings. Such a thing would be confusing at best and detrimental to Caesar's rule at worst. All little kings were a threat to Rome's rule. But what does Jesus say? Verse 36, my, G- my kingdom is not of this world. And so Jesus isn't going to play by Pilate's rules or Rome's rules. He corrects the impression that Pilate has been given by the Jewish leaders regarding the nature of his kingdom. Jesus is a king of a kingdom that is not tied up with political exploits and deposing local Roman leaders, but a kingdom concerned with truth, clearly which Pilate is not concerned with. What is truth? Are you some philosopher? Are you asking me hard questions I won't ever be able to answer on the philosophy exam? Like, what are you doing? What are you talking about, Jesus? Well, the truth is that something far larger and far grander is going on than Pilate would ever think. And Pilate realizes this only partially, though, because he's trying to get Jesus off the hook. All he can see is that Jesus is no real threat. But he's blind to the truth that Jesus' kingdom is a fulfillment of God's promises. Because what did God promise in the Old Testament to David? There There will be an eternal king on the throne of Israel. What does he promise to Abraham? He says, all the nations will be blessed. 
You see, if Jesus were just concerned with deposing Roman rulers in the local area, how would that be a blessing to all the nations? It would only be a blessing to Israel. Friends, you and I are sitting here because Jesus blesses the nations. I'm not of Jewish descent, and I don't know about you. I don't think many of you are of Jewish descent. There's a reason you're sitting here. It's because God has kept his promise to bless the nations that you might know the true king. And he's the king of Israel and all of God's people. His rule and kingdom will be a blessing to all who submit themselves under it. Jesus is the king the nations gifted, the nation of the nations that God has gifted him, which is a direct witness, the truth, the fulfillment of God's word and promises all throughout the Old Testament. The third piece of evidence here that points to Jesus being the king of kings is that by his death, everything changes. Kings have risen and kings have fallen. They've died and been buried. Which of them have influence over your life right now? There is only one king who has died and been raised from the grave three days later, who has an empty tomb, who has the right to rule over all the world. You see, the Jewish leaders and Pilate have no idea how universe-altering the death of Jesus will be. They want the death of Jesus. It will overturn everything. In their bloodthirsty desires to kill Jesus, the Jewish leaders do two things. They forfeit their participation in the kingdom of God, and they crucify the Savior who will provide forgiveness of sins to anyone who would trust in Him. Jesus, knowing full well that He has come to fulfill the promises of His Father, allows Himself to be subjected to their punishment. And He then demonstrates that His trust in the Father's power to vindicate Him by resurrection will indeed come as God's purposes for humanity are accomplished at the crucifixion. God is fulfilling his promise and his plan and his providence in the crucifixion and death of Jesus. And his death, Jesus' death, secures salvation for God, that God offers to all who trust in him. Jesus' death by crucifixion, friends, not only fulfills God's word to Israel in Isaiah 53, but Jesus himself predicted this death in, 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 uh, in, in John's gospel previously. As it said in 1832, this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Then... Jesus' resurrection then obtains a sure hope for those who trust in him. He and the Spirit will bring to completion the good work that God has started in saving us. He is the truth. He's the truth in the flesh. He's the truth crucified. And he is the truth resurrected, friends. As Jesus says of himself in John chapter 14, verses 6 and 7, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Friends, will you give your life that you might live as God has intended? 
Will you give your life to follow Jesus, the truth, and live as God has intended? Or will you walk out of here today and suppress the truth, deny Jesus? Will you find yourself on the path with Pilate and the Jewish leaders and the rest of the world? Or will you fully trust in Christ as the way, the truth, and the life? Because he is the only one who will grant you access to the Father. Will you believe in the truth who has revealed God's faithfulness, his mercy, his forgiveness, and goodness to the world? Or will you deny him? What will you do with this Jesus who stands before Pilate and you today? Jesus is the true king of glory and the sacrificial substitute who can be trusted with all of your life. Will you trust him? Will you believe in the revealed truth of God who is Jesus Christ?